Hey, you're gonna enjoy this interview with Jordan Ross, the founder and CEO of Eight Figure Agency. His consultancy helps marketing firms scale from six or seven figures up to eight, hence the name. We not only talk about the systems that he helps the CEOs and founders that he coaches deploy into their own business, but we also spend a lot of time on mindset and neuro-linguistic programming, something that I have only begun to learn a little bit about, but Jordan is a certified practitioner and I found it really fascinating. Here's my interview with Jordan Ross. Jordan, welcome to the podcast, man. I'm excited to be talking with you. Dude, great to see you, man. I'm happy that we got to connect on this platform. Right on. So um, if, you know, someone were to do one of those like uh, Daniel Kahneman exercises and be like, you know, with this input and this input, what output would you expect? And, and you know, check for cognitive biases. Your inputs to running a multi-million dollar agency consulting group, and maybe that's not even how you're necessarily going to describe eight-figure agency, but the likelihood of getting there was not, you know, predetermined or completely obvious as a starting point from an outside observer's perspective. And what I mean by that is you coach folks that are running multi-seven figure figure agencies. And yet your background is Amazon in other forms of coaching, not having run an agency yourself. So can you help make legible to people not only how you've built this successful business, but how you've been such an asset to these types of agency owners? given that you weren't necessarily sitting directly in their shoes until very recently. Yeah, let's uh, let's break it down. So for those of you who don't know me, I come from the Amazonian world. So I, when I was 21, I started working at Amazon as an area manager in Columbus, Ohio. My first role ever, I was managing over 100 employees right out of college. I launched um, CMH1, which at the time was the largest volume building in the world, and it still might be. So, you know, within six months of graduating on a daily basis, we were processing over a million units a day in peak season. And this is, I'm 21. So I worked at Amazon for four years. I managed over 2,500 people when I was 24 after a promotion or two. Um, I moved over to Amazon Fresh, which they changed the business unit a few times, but I was overseeing an operation. I had 800 people beneath me in my org chart and it was an eight figure business unit on 24. While on Amazon, at Amazon, I realized I love helping people. And the only reason I had went to Amazon was to learn how they run their operation because I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur. So I started consulting. It was actually, I was using the word coaching at the time. I was coaching business owners. And my first business owner ever was Sam Lister. He made a post on LinkedIn in 2019. This shit, this shit's really hard. It's not as easy as people think. There's ups, but there's downs. Struggling. I'm a teenager. The kid was 19 at the time, but like he, he was big on LinkedIn. Had a really good network. I hit him up in the DMs and like, yo, I could help you. I've, uh, I've been running operations for Amazon. I know how to run businesses. I got your back. I'll do it for free. So my first client ever was an agency, right? And serendipitously, like, what does he need help with? Building systems, hiring people, making sure his customers are happy. And I mean. I know, I know a thing or two outside of Amazon, right? I've, I've uh, been consuming for years and studying, being a student of the game. So how I became a, someone that was able to help agencies specifically, well, my first client was an agency owner and my second client was, and then my third client, I look around, I have five, I had 30 clients, but like seven of my first 30 were all agency, right? And when you're that intimate with your clients and who I, and I was, and I was like, I think there's something here. I'm going to go deeper and deeper and really understand this space. So I started getting, I started getting web dev clients and SEO clients and video production clients and paid media clients and CRO clients. And I would put way more time into the business than what they were paying me. So I started to understand the intricate 
part of your business, right? And flash forward, I, I became an agency expert because agencies aren't so hard to operate. They just have no, most founders don't know how to run operations and I did. So I came in, we restructured the operation. I brought the Amazonian blueprint to their business. And along the way, I started to test some concepts like how do you retain clients for a long time? I didn't know that through Amazon, but I paid someone who was a customer success expert somewhere on this shelf is never lose a customer. And I started to study that and then I would implement it into my client's businesses and I'd figure out what worked, not because it was my system, but it was already a system that worked figure out the system. And I did that over my first hundred or so clients. It was still just Jordan Ross as a solo um, consultant, solo freelancer. And we figured out a model that worked through several iterations. So you flash forward, I was able to templatize it to what you now know is 8F and build these structured processes that all of our clients um, know and love. Uh, but at the first, it was I, I come from an Amazonian world. I'm adding value to a space. I intimately start to study and practice and like put more time into this niche to best understand it. And we tested. I, I had so lo little risk. My first client was free. I had so little risk beyond that. So that's the high level. And so just in, in full transparency, uh, I'm a client. I happen to be having uh, my best quarter ever uh, on pace with my go. best year ever. And, you know, <clears throat> correlation uh, may or may not be causation. That's up to other people to ascertain. But the the thing that I want to go back to, if I, I'm sorry, I can go back in my own story years ago and I could point to one of a multitude of errors that I made was a lack of focus, a lack of closing the aperture and really applying maximum leverage against the highest impact activities that could be made. And I'd be in a completely different place if I had taken that action. You articulated that there would be a first 50 clients or so that you were taking on and not all of them at the start were agencies, unless I'm misunderstanding what you what you said. No, no, no. But it was whoever will pay me. Right on. And that's not, not an uncommon thing for, for new businesses to, to do. So can you speak very specifically about the period or the chapter of pruning down, removing the stuff that you realized wasn't high impact, not only when you realized you needed to, but how you went about doing that so you could pl apply more leverage specifically against helping agencies? You know, no one's successful alone. And I really want to emphasize that. I was fortunate enough to be in a room with a really successful agency owner, Max. Mar I'll call him Marketing Max. He, he likes to keep his identity um, discreet. Marketing Max on Twitter, uh, he built in, he, he had built a million dollar agency. So when I met him, you know, I'm early on my journey where I was probably doing like less than $20,000 a month. I'm six months in post Amazon, quitting Amazon. I think I'm hot shit. Um, I'm sure everyone can relate. You make it, you're making over $10,000 a month for me. Like I was making $3,000 a month after taxes in California. At Amazon. I'm like, I'm making 10K. I'm freaking balling out. I, I my shit don't stink. I'm the man. And he wrecked, wrecked me. I felt horrible, but it was exactly what I needed. I'm going to say the exact quote. You are not an entrepreneur. You're a prostitute. You're selling your time for money. That was number one. He wrecked me. Number two, he's like, you will never be anything special. And this is a paraphrase, but it was, it felt intense. You need a niche down. So the niching actually came from Max because I was trying to figure out, I want to build a million dollar business. But the hard thing that I, I was just like, I need a What's the best way to do this? Max told me, niche down. Followed his advice and niche down. I picked the agency world. So part of that, and that's, you know, I was at a mastermind with him and I had been hiring consultants. I offer what I need. I need a, mentors. I need consultants. I need people in my corner. And I listen. When people, tell, when people who are more successful tell me what to do, I just simply do it. It's that simple. So you're asking like, what was the high leverage? I had someone in my corner who was already successful running a seven-figure business and he told me to niche down. I did it. And that was that was the biggest variable that led to me blowing blowing up. And then the, a year later, um, or maybe a little bit more than a year, but then he eventually told me to 
to go all in on Twitter. So I had scaled. I'm at 50K MRR. Shit's good, but it's not great. And he's like, I'm like, I need more leads. I need to get more appointments. He's like, Twitter, Jordan. Like, if you go all in on Twitter, you'll blow up. And now we're a multi-million dollar business. And it's like, those two things came from one person, Marketing Max. Uh, and I followed it. I followed it. Too. I went so ham on Twitter in 2022. Like, I mastered that platform. And I'm still going ham. And those were the big two biggest variables that led to this business becoming what it is today. We're a, we're a multi-million dollar consultancy today, but it's accumulation of a lot of small things, but there, there are on the journey, a few big decisions. So on the operation side, I mean, it's, so it's, it's really interesting to me, a lot of marketing agencies, if they're, if they're any good can get a client, right? Cause they, they're, they're marketers, right? Like they should be able to, to attract a, a new business. Not always the case, but you would assume so, but really what's interesting about your approaches, there is stuff, you know, you, you'll teach stuff as it pertains to that, you know, how to increase retention and onboarding these other things, but it's really all of the back end of fulfillment that, you know, how do, how do I make this thing not blow up? How do I not be working 12, 14, 16 hour days that, you know, like your first client was struggling with actually putting into practice. So, you know, certainly not able to summarize your entire curriculum here in, in a brief podcast interview, but like, what are the levers that you're always looking to push on? when people are basically scaling people, that's the nature of an agency business. Thank God for Amazon. Scaling a business is hard. It's actually extremely simple. And that's the thing that people don't see because when I go into a business and I have several clients or I have a few contractors, we get, as emotional beings, we get lost in the emotion of this and we, and we, we lose our articulation and we stop extrapolating the simple things that lead to success. Right. So let's just go high level. What is success for business? You have consistent appointments coming in. You have consistent prospects turning into clients. You consistently keep your clients happy. You consistently deliver a good service and you consistently keep your team members well-trained, well-compensated, and then they deliver and they keep their clients. That's it. Five variables to running an exceptional business. We lose sight of all that shit, right? When you grow. So when our clients come in, they're stuck with I, in what I call agency prison. We start this business to build the dream. I want to make a lot of money, make a lot of impact, build a world-class team, help a lot of people, live my best life, take off as much as I want to, travel the world, do the whole thing, right? Be on Instagram looking cool and stuff, right? I want to give my kid, my family, the, the life of their dreams. I want to retire my wife, right? We all start for this for a variation of several of the same reasons. And what happens is we shoot for a North Star and we end up becoming the sun planet and everything in our solar system revolves around the sun. Agency prison is when is when you are the sun in your business. Everything revolves around you, which is the wrong model to building a business. You become a glorified employee. You have golden handcuffs. You have a highly compensated job. The goal, once again, is not to be the sun. It's to be a star, right? Be a, a light in the sky. That's a guide for your team. So how do we do that? First thing is we need to build a good foundation for your business. So the analogy I like to give is if you want to build a house or if you want to build a skyscraper, you really need to have the strong foundation so it doesn't just get blown over. The foundation that all agencies are built on for the most part is the founder is doing a lot of stuff. There's no processes. There's no structure. There's no defined way to do things. There is no formal way to source talent. There's no formal way to train talent. There's no formal way to retain talent. There's none of that. So if you want to build something great, and you don't have a strong structure, would you ever build a house with a weak foundation knowing that at any moment it could crumble? No. So why is your business any different? So we come in and we, we dial in structure. So structure is building good workflows. The, when a client comes in, the first step all the way to retain them for years, all the dependencies, all the owners of those steps, we define what KPIs are per each role. We define how to manage them through daily 
checklists and daily reports. We define how to track data, define success, how to source talent, how to onboard talent, how to train talent, how to manage talent, and how to keep our clients happy. We do all these things. Business went from being hard to where you're the sun and everything revolves around you. So slowly, surely, and gradually, we start to get time off your plate, start to put the ball in other people's court for it so they can score the ball for you. And your job eventually becomes keeping your team happy, making sure they're well-trained, making sure that you have good culture and we're doing the right things. Slow, gradual shift, but it happens. And I also, I want to acknowledge you, Aaron, right? You said you're having the best quarter. There's something called the halo effect in quantum physics. Um, when we make a commitment to invest in ourselves, we demonstrate on a quantum level uh, a segment of abundance. So a lot of times, like I invest heavily into the business and it's, sometimes it's scary. Like I added $35,000 in fixed costs this month. That scared the shit out of me, man. I really did. We can easily absorb. No problem. What always ends up happening though, when we make an investment in our business or ourselves, whether that's through consultants or talent, we show the universe that you know we are being of abundance and on a quantum level, this is scientifically proven, you have the halo effect and things start to serendipitously come in where you might get way more clients than you would have because you can consume them. You have the capacity for it. So I want to acknowledge you because that's also a byproduct of what happens when people invest. So you know there are a collection of, of books in that realm and, and we've you know, people can point to a past conversation that we had with uh, Jim Shorkey, who is one of the most famous, um, you know, car salesmen here in, in Western Pennsylvania. Jordan, he um, read the book Think and Grow Rich, I think, 142 times. And Think and Grow Rich is somewhere up here. Translated that into enormous success. And what I've experienced is that there's a lot of people who are on the other side of either learning that lesson or buying into that framework or however you would articulate that, that it's it's almost said in this like dispassionate, obvious way that is wildly inaccessible to someone on the on the other side of that kind of realization or learning. I'm going to basically challenge you a little bit to just make that more tangible to the person that it isn't isn't quite rocking what you just articulated. Let's go hyper specific. Are they someone who wants to build a business? Are they running a business already? Like what? Someone who's in some you know nascent stage. I, they started. It's they're they've plateaued. They're 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 definitely in in prison in in whatever business it is that they're running. And this concept of uh, a halo or abundance or these other kind of it feels very squishy that there may be default skeptical default you know that that just sounds like a bunch of woo woo nonsense yeah 100 percent. so everything i said on the back end of that that's scientific fact now so for people that are like skeptical look the pentagon released a, a, a long report in 2020 proving that manifestation quantum physics is real so for everyone that's like eh jordan don't believe it or send the intentions is bs look quantum physics disproved all of you disbelievers it's not squishy anymore it's like literally scientific fact it's just as much as fact of law of gravity you drop a apple it's going to fall to the ground um look and you could google this stuff right everything i just said to you on that front so i think for everyone that still feels like it's squishy or woo woo, it's, you know, you're just not what, like candidly speaking to them. And this is like, I know the question at the end is a challenge feel. This is me not challenging you. Just Google it. It's what everything I just said from the scientific realm of manifestations real. It's quantum physics. So going to think and grow rich. Let's just talk about like manifestation for a second. I was, I picked that book up in 2015, 2016. And then I picked up the secret. One of my managers gave that to me. Um, 
She gave it to me in January 2017. And I latched onto that like no other because I wa- I read The Secret, I watched The Secret, and I'm listening to like YouTube motivation. Everyone's saying if you set the intention and you back it up with the action and you transform, you'll receive it. So first, everything I said, like ignore the mindset, the manifestation. In order to become, you must be first. I really believe that. You don't become a millionaire by happenstance. You are someone who shows up as a millionaire every single day. You do the right things that millionaires do, and then you become one. There's a lot of clues. And I just said a bunch of them, like build your build your workflow, build your templatized workflow. The first step of a client coming into your business all the way to the last step, right? Who's the owner of that role? Is there an SOP, a standard operating procedure? Is there a training? Trainings teach people how to think. Is there a software implication, right? Um, are you well read? You know, I have... I have about 40 more books, but I only have one more shelf. So I, right, the way I look at it is I don't think success is hard after becoming, quote, successful, right? Monetarily successful. I live on the beach. I have a beautiful wife. I love her. It's it's really simple as you need to wake up every day and just commit to 1% improvement. That's it. So is 1% you're picking up a book? Is 1% you're just trying to figure out how to fix your operation? Is 1% fixing your mindset? You know, because before I did this whole thing, I I studied Tony Robbins. I stalked her Joe Dispenza. I worked with therapists. I worked with life coach. I worked on Jordan way before I worked on a business, man. And I would challenge those people, right? Like it's not woo-woo. It's just, I know thousands of entrepreneurs and I know a lot of billionaires, maybe not billionaires. I know a few billionaires that are preaching this stuff too. And they sure as heck did not get there by accident. Got it. So in that realm of things that one can work on, skills they can build, improve thyself, um, are you drinking pickle juice? No, it's um, athletic greens. Okay, cool. It's green, but it's athletic greens. It's not pickle juice. Got it. I was going to say that like, he's in like a mason jar. He threw me for a loop in the middle of my question. Apologies to the listeners. Um, <sighs> so one of the things that that you've referenced before uh, is neuro-linguistic programming. And I know that's that's a little bit uh, a part of the, the NLP. NLP, a part of the Tony Robbins story, not natural language processing, which we're also experiencing with all the AI stuff, different, maybe related, but not the same thing. Specifically, that skill set, can you talk about how that's assisted in sales and, and other kind of outcomes? That is one of my favorite questions I've ever had on a podcast. I want to give you so much credit there, bro. Um, so for those of you who do not, do not know what NLP is, NLP is the, it's, they define it as the study of success, which is literally what I just said, right? They go and study successful people and processes, and then they figure out the science behind it. 80% of everything that Tony Robbins does is NLP. So I came across NLP. I have no clue how. I think the coach I had hired back, I hired him first in 2019. Um, he put me onto the topic. Yeah, he Dave Goodall. I love him. Um, and he's great if anyone's looking for like a, a professional coach to help them with their performance and mindset and all that stuff. I went to NLP practitioner training in February of 2020. Think about that time right before. And what I learned there, they they opened up their training. It was Dr. Matt James. He is Tony Robbins says he is the best person in the world to learn from. So I, I got to sit in a you know in a room with him for three four days straight. The first thing they did is they pulled up all the people that have studied and practiced NLP. Bill Clinton, Hugh Jackman, Tiger Woods, Oprah Winfrey, and and those were four. And there's literally the page was enormous, and I was like, yo, <laughs> like. Holy shit. And everyone knows Oprah. Like, you know, she talks about a lot of this stuff, but it's like, like all these people are studying this one thing and all these people are successful. Like, this is it. This is it. And, and NLP started to really articulate some of the woo-woo stuff. They're a field of science that really took what was woo-woo and they put the actual, the hard science behind it. So NLP was great because it really helped me just dial in 
specifically in business, how to sell. So I teach the five-step sales process, which I learned from NLP, and it teaches you about rapport. It teaches you how to build trust with someone on an unconscious level, right? Which a lot of that's about matching and mirroring body language and tonality. So only, I think it's four or six percent, I think it's seven percent, seven percent of all communications done through words. The other 90, 93 percent is done through your body language and your tonality. So if you think about, Aaron, if you fly to LA and you get off the plane, you see someone wearing like, a Pittsburgh sweatshirt, or they might be wearing like, I don't know what your team is, but maybe it's like the Steelers or something like that. If you see that, you're going to feel some relatability to them immediately. I feel that kinship when I see someone wearing an Ohio State sweatshirt, I see someone wearing a New York Yankees hat because I'm from New York. And that's happening on an unconscious level all the time. We're constantly looking for people that are like us and similar to us because that makes us feel safe. In sales, that's the first step of a sale, building trust. The way you can do that, like you're leaning a little bit to the left right now, so would I. You would have no clue that I'm doing this, but your unconscious sees that we're mirroring each other. So that means we're safe. It's similar to like how birds fly in a flock, right? One makes a small movement. The other one makes a small movement. And they all follow each other. So the five-step sales process in NLP teaches this. Let's start with rapport. And there's some deep level strategies like looking at your eye patterns to pick your specific um, interpretation of the world. Won't go into that. But then after that, you need to understand how to elicit the need. So once I have rapport with you, I need to start to ask the right questions. What's success look like for you, Aaron? What are your What are the gaps and things that you need to fill? So I start to understand your internal representation of success. NLP abbreviates it, calling it I hyphen R, internal representation. Now, when I sell to you, I'm going to sell the, the goal and I'm going to help you mitigate that pain point. So I'm selling you the painkiller and the supplement all at the same time. A lot of people miss this. They try to sell a service. We don't sell services. We sell the dream and we sell solving your pain, right? Painkillers, narcotics are is like one of the biggest industries in the world. Like people buy narcotics way more than they buy supplements, solve people's pain. So what I learned and what we teach is if you want to sell effectively, build rapport, elicit the need. And when you pitch, you're pitching a solution that helps solve those emotional things and it shows up as your service. And then you need to handle objections. But that's NLP. I would really recommend you guys Google it. Pull up on YouTube. There's so much to learn. I um, am very in the nascent stages of, of looking into it. But there was a training that I received was one of the first times that felt kind of tangible and accessible versus either not necessarily woo, but there was like people will... I, my interpretation is that there's some people that will take it, implement it in some way, shape, or form, I guess, incorrectly or in a way that kind of like gives you the heebie-jeebies as opposed to it being applicable, pra practical, tangible in some way, shape, or form. But anyways, uh, the, this, the person was talking about how to use it in a public talk. And I you know, used a couple of the principles in a talk that I gave last week, and it was like probably the best received talk that I've ever had before. So anecdotal, not you know, hard data necessarily, but uh, very interesting to see that, that put into practice. And obviously your success, another identifier of that. I've got two more questions here and then we'll aim towards wrapping up with the last question, Jordan. One of those is in order to scale a consultancy, you need really talented people. There's, there's people that need, you know, admins and other folks that need to fill in different roles, but to be a credible coach to someone who's building a multi seven figure agency, you need someone who's walked the walk, talked the talk, done the thing. And, you know, in general, those people aren't cheap or easy to recruit or easy to hire. So can you talk about filling your consultancy with talented people and properly incentivizing them to want to, as to use your parlance, score, score hoops for you? Yeah. So for context, um, I've gone through several iterations. You know, my first hire ever was my business, who became my business partner, Zach. He built and exited a seven-figure agency himself. Um, and I started to source talent on LinkedIn. And I found a community of people that know a similar methodology, not the same one, um, EOS. And I found out that if I start recruiting these people, uh, 
these guys are really talented. So now our minimum qualifiers, you need to, you need to at least have been an executive COO or CEO at an eight-figure business. We have two guys that have been an executive. One guy was a COO. One guy founded and sold a nine-figure business, and they're part of our team. You know, if you come into ADAP today, your consultant will be a minimum an eight-figure COO. So not only do we know how to build a seven-figure business, everyone on our team knows how to get to eight figures and beyond. They know what that looks like. That's so valuable. And truthfully, right, when I post a job, I literally just put, I had, I figured it out, just get on the phone with these people. What do you want to get paid per hour? What do you want to get paid if we bring you on full time? And it's just simply getting into conversation. What would you like to get paid? It's that simple for me. Um, because once you know that number, then it's you got to go back to the drawing board. How can we create the structure or the revenue or how can we as the business make this happen? I'll give you, give you a very candid conversation that we've had this year and now we're, we actually have a solution for it. We have a consultant that's working with us. He makes multiple six figures in his current role and he works with a few clients of ours. Like he makes a lot. And whatever your number is, multiple six figures, it's more than two. This guy's Ill. this guy's so good. This guy's elite. Like this guy's insane, man. And you know he's he's currently a COO of a thirty million dollar business, and he's working with like I think he's got like six hours of clients, six hours worth of clients per week. So maybe like 10, 12 clients that he's working with. Everyone loves this guy. Like love. I literally heard someone literally wrote yesterday. Thanks, bro. I love you. They're saying that to the person they're wor- they're paying us to work. He is so good. Have a candid conversation with them. Hey, man, I want to work with you full time. I want to work with you for the next 20 years. How can I make that happen? Well, here's what I get paid total comp right now. And here's, you know, what we want to make that happen. First off, I had to take a beat because that shit was overwhelming. Oh, my. I went to my CEO. I'm like, yo, this guy's making so much, man. Can we, can we afford it? And I really thought about it. Then one of our consultants in Europe earlier this year in January, we learned he was doing some shit that wasn't aligned with us. We split off from him. And I looked at the opportunity cost. And I'm like, our margins will be lower on the guy, the clients that this guy works with. But I think our retention will be way higher. And I think our capacity to build a, a world-class business will be way higher too. So I'm willing to take a hit on margins to have someone that I'll never have to worry about. Tr- I'll only have to train for a little bit because like, he's pretty much trained already. And it all started with asking, how much do you want to make? That's the first question. How much do you want to earn? And then it's your job to figure out what you need to do to keep them. So so in that realm, though, so so, so what do you want to make is, a, is a, a useful question and then reverse engineering from there. But I guess there's another thing that's like almost, um, and maybe it's a Yogi Berra quote. It's like, I, I, I don't want to be a part of any club that will have me. But uh, But it's like the, you know, the the person that is so successful that they are almost like post-economic necessarily is kind of like the perfect person to, to be giving advice. So you're, you're almost like by definition, when someone exits a nine or eight figure business, like they're almost by definition, um, maybe not post-economic, but they're in a, a different tax bracket, right? So that is, there has to also be meaning, I guess, or, or maybe that's not, maybe that's not the way that you no, look at it. hundred percent. There's different, the way I like to look at it is the money opens the door for the conversation. We are emotional beings that then validate our emotions through logic, but that's happening unconsciously. So we have two guys, one guy built and sold the nine figure company and sold it. Sure as heck, that guy does not mean a dollar ever. And his kids probably never work again. We have another guy who built and sold a $50 million company, sold it. Same thing, doesn't mean a dollar. 
so when we when I meet these guys, one, I'm pinching myself. So we went back to the manifestation before. I I had a moment yesterday, and guys, I, I will emphasize this. Like for those of you who do think it's woo, I would encourage you. I, I was I was on a I was having a hot take before. I would really encourage you to consider this manifestation thing. It it really does work. The talent I have on my team, I can only accredit it to just the serendipity of life. And I have no clue how this shit just keeps happening. It's crazy. The talent I have on my team, like the, my marketing partner, was of Ecom. This this kid's a liquid multimillionaire by the age of 24, one of the best marketers. He's literally hired by other countries' politicians to like make sure they win elections. This kid's insane. Our cold calling team, my director of marketing, my like the talent that we have, the people I'm around, I blo- it blows my mind all the time. And I, I have not gone out and found them. They've just showed up. The only thing I could accredit that to is that. So part of this, right, going back to our talent and how to figure that out, it start, the, the financial question opens the door to figure out what truly motivates them. So when I sat down with this guy, he's like, yeah, I built and sold a nine-figure company. I just want to ask you, you clearly don't need to work ever again. Why are you here? And that's a question you want to ask your employees or potential employees too. Like, what, what motivates you? Like, what do you actually care about? You know, and both guys that are financially free, they both said, you know, at this point, I'm unemployable because I, you know, no one's going to hire someone who did what I did. Like most people are afraid to. And I just, I want to give back. I want to help people. And ultimately at the core of my business is helping people, right? We help like Aaron, you said you had the best quarter of your life. How's that change your life? And how's that change your confidence? And how's that change everything? You have a child too. Yeah. How's that change your experience as a father? To provide a light, what's that like for you? I mean, it gives you confidence, and it. And it I always say it. Uh, it it raises the ceiling, or it raises like your aim in terms of what's possible. Um, that's that's the big thing. Is like, you know, there are boundaries to what you think you can do. That's either a product of, you know, your upbringing or cultural messages that you're receiving, or the people you surround yourself with. And for me, I'm fortunate. I run a business that helps people. But that's what I'm selling to these people. Like, and then when they actually get into the work, there's nothing more fulfilling than changing someone's business, which changes the, their client's life. There's nothing more fulfilling than the messages we get. Like, I could, I could, if I think about it, I go through the laundry list of stuff. Like, we've helped so many. We've had several clients become millionaires with a, a literal M. We had a client sell their company for eight figures last year. He's my age. He's 28. That kid, still a child, still a kid. He's 28. Like these experiences, those are the more valuable things that recruit talent for us, right? Because once once the consultants actually get into the work with it, they love it. So for me, you know, that's how we did it. It's not always that simple to recruit talent because you're not you might not be changing people's lives. But you could also ask, what do you care about? What what is it that motivates you? What is it that, that you want? My CTO Justin he wants to buy a house. I'm like, hey man, we're gonna figure this out. How much do you need to s-? I, I asked him this question months ago, how much do you need to save? We're internally tracking I'm working with him. I'm giving him incentives now to make like, hey, we could get hit your number sooner than you were planning on it. Let's do it together. And for that, there's granted, we'll get him a house and he'll be so grateful for me. But like the experience that I'm showing him, I care so much about you as a human. I'm going to help you accomplish what you want to. And I will never betray you. I'll always be loyal to you. Like we'll work together for forever, bro. Like this guy will never leave me. And it's not because it's manipulative or anything. It's because I genuinely care. And like, that's the thing that people want. That's the thing that you can control as a manager or a team leader. If you figure out what your people care about, even if they're your admins from overseas. I'll give you one more example. We have a admin, Lizzie and Sammy. They're a husband and life combo. I love that. They're so sweet. Um, you know, they're exceptional. And I asked Lizzie when she started, like, was it that you care about? She's like, I need financial security. I live in Kenya. I have three kids. I need to make sure that, you know, we're going to be okay. I'm like, Lizzie, if you come in and do good work for me, you will never have to worry about your financial security ever again. Her child started daycare in January. And she's like, Hey boss, I want to let you know. I'm a little worried. My child starting daycare in January. It's going to be an extra 250 US dollars a month. I'm like, I don't even worry about that. I got it covered. I just gave her $250 bonus every month now. 
And it's those things like having the right admin. She saves us so much time and I know she'll never leave because I get on a call with her. I've met all of her three kids. Um, and this is my admin. She's just like sorting stuff. It's nothing crazy. It's those moments that change people's lives and make them feel safe. In a chaotic, stressful world, if you can be the calm that makes people feel secure um, and doesn't provide stress from your job, then like, you know, you'll keep people and you'll attract people. And then those people will refer you people, right? And and that's the game that I play. We still have our final questions to get to, but I've got one more for you, which is you sit at a really interesting kind of crossroads of information, which is, you know, being there side by side with founders as they sell these big businesses, others that are growing these big businesses. And for folks that don't know, like the the history, the advertising marketing agency world, um, maybe they've seen Mad Men and there's this kind of yesteryear nostalgic view of, of Madison Avenue. But there is a reality that I think there's like, you know, seven just jaw-droppingly enormous agencies out there that have historically run all the kind of like TV advertising and stuff for the biggest brands in the world. And there's all these, you know, Young Turks, d- digital upstart type characters coming in. So not so much in the present, but more when you look to the future of the role of the digital marketing agency or the marketing agency or the agency, what do you think that future looks like? Is there going to be another consolidation big seven? Is it just going to be fractured and splintered and specialists all over the place? What do you think? So there's not one answer to this because there's so many industries, there's so many markets. Like we have clients that work with so many different industries, big companies, small companies, Fortune 500. And the big players will always, there will always be big players. And I think assuming, you know, we don't have any people running nine figure companies or billion dollar companies listening to this podcast. If you are, you'll be fine. But for everyone else that's running like the smaller startup agencies or like the sub eight figures or less than 20 million, I'm a I'm an abundant thinker in the sense that I always believe there's going to be plenty to go around. I think you know with the evolution of AI, ChatGPT, and such, um, there's going to be a lot of people that will probably there will be jobs that will be taken out of the market, and there will be agencies that figure out how to integrate that into the business to streamline and put have more output. I think there are going to be companies that scale crazily. Those they go to eight figures, nine figures, and they capture marketplace. And through AI, they figure this out. But I think in the long term, technology is going to streamline our ability to create good product and service. But ultimately, I, I see with the decentralization of the internet and more people building SaaS companies and internet companies and e-commerce companies and such, um, there's in the coming 20 years, there's not a better time ever to be able to make a big quote. So there's a, there's a quote I got, and this is a little bit of a different angle. Um, we were born too late to travel the world and explore the world. You might have heard this one. We were born too early to travel the universe, but we were born just at the right time. Can I drop, can I curse on this podcast or no? To make a fuck ton of money on the internet. I I loved that quote. It's hilarious. And I, that's what I see as the future for agencies, right? There's, there's, there is no shortage in the coming years of demand in the marketplace. AI will disrupt how it is done. So you need to be conscious of that. But we're we're in a great time to be a digital entrepreneur, make as much as you want to and live your best life while doing it. Well, note to wrap up on Jordan, uh, I want people to be able to check out you and ADEF uh, if they are interested. What digital coordinates should we point people towards if they want to learn more? I got three. Um, first and foremost, Twitter. It's the most active place I'm on. Jordan underscore Ross underscore ADEF. I'm new to YouTube. We're doing one long form, super valuable video a week, plus two shorts a day. That's Jordan Ross 8F. And then my website, if you are if you want an inquiry, immediately just go to 
eightfigureagency.co forward slash call. Or if you just want to check out our website and our testimonies and that stuff, go to eightfigureagency.co. Beautiful. We're going to link that all in the show notes. Going deep there.com slash podcast is a place to find it for this and every episode of the show. It's also in the app. You're probably listening to it right now. So click those links. Uh, but before I let you go, Jordan, I would like to give the mic one final time to issue an actionable challenge to the audience. You know, I, I knew this was coming. And like through this conversation, I've even changed my mind on what it was going to be. Um, I'll go broad and I'll go specific. Uh, my, my, and I'll actually say I'll, my biggest encouragement to you is go all, go all in on yourself. And um, the reason I say that I had a pa- two parents that doubted that I could do this. And that was really demoralizing for me. My dad, when I was at Amazon, I intentionally turned down promotions because I was building a side hustle. My dad said, quote, that's a really dumb move. You shouldn't do that. That wrecked me. Um, my parents told me not to quit. My parents said it was a bad idea when I did quit. And now they couldn't be more proud of me, right? So I know there's a lot of people that are afraid of making their parents um, shamed of them or going after their genes for whatever reason, like go all in on yourself. And that might have to be, you might have to wait a few years and really figure that out. To go a level deeper from there, how you can do that, like if you want to be someone who makes big impact and you know really helps people or makes a shift or just maybe you just want to make a shit ton of money, maybe that's your ambition. Study how to be a person that becomes that. And if you look into that field, it actually starts not a, ha, has nothing to do with business success and money. It has everything to do with how you perceive the world. So work on your mindset. Dr. Joe Dispenza would be the number one resource I'd encourage you to check out. Um, he has a great book. It's actually that one right there, the, the sole book, How to Change the Habit of You. Yeah, you're the placebo and that one's breaking the habit of being yourself. Um, he was instrumental in my personal evolution. He still is. And to go one level deeper, because this is all one encouragement. Um, I meditate daily and meditation has changed my life. Whenever I get triggered, if, if any of you have a significant other, like you will attract a person who will encourage the triggers in you to evolve. You can either succumb to those or evolve. Breath, learning how to breathe and learning how to meditate has changed my life. One, for the manifestation part of meditating, but two, just knowing how to sense when my heartbeat is rising or when I'm getting anxious and I could go sit down and center myself and let it go. And that's my one big encouragement. That was a lot to say, but thanks for the question. I like it. Uh, it's beautiful. Uh, I need to take it. I think we all, all listening can take it. And I uh, appreciate you, Jordan, for taking the time to be on the show today. Thanks for having me on, buddy. We just went deep with Jordan Ross. Hope everyone out there has a fantastic day. Thanks for listening to the end of my interview with Jordan. If you enjoyed it, I think you'll also enjoy my interview with Andrew Gazdecki of MicroAcquire. Actually, his business is now called Acquire, but at the time it was called MicroAcquire. We talk all about buying small businesses, operating them, improving them, and living a really good entrepreneurial lifestyle. Check it out.